Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. What's going on, everyone? This is the Go Long Podcast. I'm Tyler Dunn, here riding solo. Hope everybody out there is doing well. Thanks so much for listening to the pod. Uh, As we did last week with Michael Carter, the second story, I just thought we would supplement what we have going on over at the newsletter, golongtd.com, with a podcast episode. So uh, we had an extended Q&A conversation with former NFL cornerback Terrence Newman. You may remember him from his Dallas days, fifth overall pick. You may remember him from his Cincinnati days. He played against Green Bay. I know we've got some Packer fans who listen. You might remember in Cincinnati, he took a a fumble back for a touchdown in in an early season game. Most people probably remember him from those Viking days right at the end when at 37, 38, 39, he's really defined convention playing cornerback at an age that... (laughs) He has no business playing the position at uh, and playing it well, starting for two playoff Viking teams, one that lost in the playoffs to Seattle in the negative 24, negative 25 wind chill game on the missed kick, and then the other that lost in the NFC Championship game against Philadelphia, where if they win that game, they lost the Super Bowl, but... I got to know Terrence Newman uh, when I did a Bleach Report story in 2016, and and if you read the Q&A, it's pretty funny. He he convinced me to shave my head. He looked at me, disgusted, and said, L-I-G, let it go. You're fooling nobody. You're hanging on for dear life on top of that head. Give it up. Give it up. And uh, lo and behold, a couple days later, when I got home to Buffalo, New York, shaved the head, as Terrence promised, I... Uh, my wife shortly after and now we have two kids so Terrence Newman now since he's retired he has a child uh, and you'll hear his three-year-old daughter uh, on these podcast uh, audio clips here Um, yeah he's trying to fight off the cocoa melon like the rest of us just loving dad life and selling some real estate so as we do with these Q&A's with former players we just kind of shoot the shit look back at some of the old war stories from the gridiron um, get into all kinds of stuff so yeah, the first clip that I'll share here is from his childhood in Salina, Kansas. Terrence Newman details how he found his speed. And it wasn't on a football field. It actually was 
playground, into some fights with kids, and running home when he would encounter another enemy uh, yeah, a few times a week. I guess that's where I built my resiliency, especially uh, especially my speed, I think. You know, some of, you can't fight everybody. And, you know, a lot of those fights I had to run away from. So I think that's part of where I got my speed. The other one was we had this dog in the neighborhood. And anytime I walked down the street, I knew this dog was going to chase me, right? <laughs> so I always had to be on my P's and Q's. So anytime I walked down the street, I knew this little dog was going to chase. He was a child. Mean fucker, too. So I had to, uh, you know, I had to have my eyes open and out. So get into a little battle, like little tuffle at the playground. You know, I run and then I start walking home. I go down the street and it seemed like every single time that I walked down the street, this little child would chase my ass. <laughs> and I mean, I had to hightail it, right? I think that's—I think that's honestly how I built my speed. Really, Just running from this damn dog? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> A little chow, though. I mean, I'm trying to picture. I mean, the- he wasn't little, but you know. You you think of a like a big dog? You know what I mean. You think like of a pit bull or, you know, one of these dogs that are that are, you know, hundred pounds and muscular. This was a chow, but he was a mean son of a bitch. How would you describe? How would you describe the fear then when you see this dog? You know how like um, some guys are worried about what what they're gonna run in a forty. Yeah. When this dog was chasing me, I knew I would run four one. <laughs> so would he get you and like bite you and le- leave well, him? He, he was just like you know the dogs that chase you, the growling. Rah, rah. I didn't want to find out what was gonna happen, you know. And it wasn't like he was a little dog. He was, you know, he was a pretty good sized dog. He's okay. probably forty pounds. Oh, okay. You know, as an adult, so. I used to have to jump fences and do all this shit just to get away from him. And how often was that? Uh, it was probably, you know, a couple times a week. Obviously something worked because Terrence Newman became the fastest player on his high school team, earned a scholarship to Kansas State, and after a breakthrough moment in a Cotton Bowl win against Tennessee, he turned himself into the top cornerback prospect in the 2003 NFL Draft. Was taken fifth overall by the Dallas Cowboys. His first coach was Bill Parcells. And by God, did he have some Bill Parcells stories. One that you'll catch uh, online at golongtd.com was uh, Bill Parcells making the first round picks. Fetch him some water before they were allowed to drink water. So that was interesting. And this was Terrence Newman detailing how Bill Parcells basically just shut the training room down one day. Didn't, didn't like how uh, players were just kind of hanging out, you know, tending to injuries and wanted to instill toughness in a way that guys didn't necessarily like. So um, Terrence Newman kind of touching on those cowboy days. And then as he's doing that, while we're talking for this conversation, he learns that Marion Barber, former teammate, tragically passed away. So he's getting the updates from teammates, from friends, and he kind of had to abruptly leave to try to figure out what in the hell happened. And we actually picked up this Q&A a few days later, um, as you'll see. But but yeah, I wanted to include that that audio clip 
here on the podcast, just so you can kind of hear Terrence Newman learning of the death of Marion Barber as as we're talking, and he shared a pretty chilling story about Barber. He ran into him a few years ago. I, you know, it's a shock that he died. Obviously, it's it's a shock to everybody, but in the same breath, it, it's pretty clear that Barber was dealing with some after effects of concussions, some some serious mental health issues. Uh, Terrence Newman tried his best to make sense of something that is pretty senseless. Uh, somebody far too young dying. And, and, and I'm sure that as you're listening to this, details are probably still coming out. So uh, here's Terrence Newman getting into those Dallas days, Parcells, and learning of Marion Barber. He was a mean coach. He, uh, One of my best stories is uh, we had a, I can't remember what year it was. I can't remember if it was my rookie year or my second year or third year. But uh, we had a bad practice. And uh, he comes in, you know, we all shower and whatnot. He told all of our our athletic trainers to leave, right? Mm-hmm. Leave the facility, shut the, shut, the, shut the training room, put bags of ice, bags and ice in an in a ice chest, and put a put a sign on the door that said "Treat yourself." <laughs> I'm dead ass serious. Like that no was way. the first time I've ever heard anything like this. Right? <laughs> bags on ice saying "Treat yourself." What's going through your head when you see that? What's that? What What, what are you possibly thinking then when you see that? Well, shit. After before that, like I already knew. Like listening to him talk, like. You know, he was just like, he would say whatever was on his mind to you. Yeah. But to me, that was like, okay, this this coach doesn't play. And I already knew that he didn't like guys in the training room. He would come, he would come through the training room and, and guys would like, like just run like roaches with the lights on. Is that right? Guys, guys would just run away when they saw him yeah. coming? He just hated seeing guys in the training room. Like would he would he basically insinuate that you're a, that you're a pussy in so many words then, if you're in there? Basically, he's like, you can't play if you're in the tub. Gosh, did it work? Like, did, do you think that was a good thing or a not good thing? No, it was uh, to me. It was terrible. <laughs> no, we can't put that in there. It was terrible because, you know, you want guys that you want your guys healthy, don't you? You want them yeah. to play as healthy as possible. Yeah. If they can't get treatment, how are you going to let your guys heal and, and be ready for the next game? Like, mm-hmm. he wanted the strongest team, the mentally tough. The, like, you had to be mentally tough. You had to have mental fortitude, but you also had to be physically tough. It's true. You know, that, and that was kind of what he instilled. Like, like he was an old-school coach. Oh, my God. Did you hear about Mary and Barber? I was just going to say something to you. Oh, my God. Isn't it tragic? I just, I just got my watch, looked at my watch, and... Awful. I don't know what happened. I mean, any idea what happened? Several text messages. Uh, my cousin is in Dallas. You know what? I, I had seen Mary in like two years ago. Uh-huh. Uh, bef- no, it was three years ago, just before I moved back out here. Just before I moved out here. And uh, it was raining, and I'm driving to the gas station probably about a mile from my house and Marion had lived in high rise not far from my house either so I see this guy walking down the street in the rain right mm-hmm. I get to the gas station and it's Marion you know and I'm, I hadn't seen Marion in a while 
but I heard he had, you know, he had kind of fallen on hard times. He wasn't doing too well. So, uh, you know, we talked, whatever, exchanged numbers. But I was actually scared when I saw him. Like, he, he looked bad, you know. Really? He looked like he wasn't there. Like, he was just a different person. What? Like, literally, yeah, like, literally, he couldn't, you know, like, he couldn't function. And that's probably why he was walking and not driving. But, uh, when I tell you I was, I was scared, like, I thought he might just swing on me. Really? I was actually scared. Why? Why would he like? Just he had a look about him, or what? What would make you feel scared? He uh, he had a look about him, but also like he had just, you know, his face was just kind of. I don't know. It was droopy. It was like like. You know, I don't know if you guys have homeless, a homeless issue where you guys are from, but we see homeless people out here all the time, and it looked like he was homeless. You know. Wow. Like he lived on the streets and. Hmm? You wanna go inside? Okay. How about you go go to mommy right here? Go to mommy over here. Um, he just was was rough, you know, and um, I guess he had so many concussions that it really impacted him. Yeah. He had like um, just lost his mind really. There was a uh, I had read in the paper he had uh went took a gun to a church got arrested in a church and. A little town in, in just outside of Dallas. He's taken a gun to church, and I guess he showed the people in the church the gun. So they called the cops and took him for a mental evaluation. I had no freaking clue. I had no idea. I mean, it makes you wonder. I, I, I mean, this just this is just coming out, like you said. God knows what happened here. That's, yeah, I gotta I gotta figure this one out, man. As you'll kind of learn, uh, Terrence Newman, he, he really did battle through injuries himself. Obviously, you're going to, if you played 15 years in the NFL, at the level that he played at that position out there on an island with the best wide receivers in the game. So uh, he, he got into all of it in our conversation, but this is the one that Terrence Newman said was the absolute worst that he had to deal with. It happened in a Monday Night Football game against the New York Giants on an interception. Okay, you want to know the worst injury I had? I think I know what's coming, but I want to hear it. Uh, I tore, I tore ab muscle and my rib cartilage playing the Giants. Um, I think it was the inaugural game in uh in Texas in uh AT and T Stadium. <laughs> Monday night game, I get an interception, I'm running it back, and I can't remember who the running back was at the time, but uh, I go to cut back, I'm, I'm like, you know, on a 10, about to score, and I go to cut back, and he pulls me down from the opposite side, and just the way my body twerked, and the way he pushed me, ripped my, ripped my rib cartilage, and tore my ab, I actually have a scar to this day, of where I got injected, I, I go in, I go in, at, you know, as soon as I tear it, and you know, I get an injection. I go back out. You know, I try to gut it out and play. I think we ended up losing that game. And then uh, every every game after that, for I don't know how many how many months, I had to get an injection in my in my ab just to you know just to cope with the the pain. And uh, it, it 
I got it so frequently that it actually ate my skin. And I have a scar from where I was getting the injections. Can you believe that? I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't sit comfortably. I mean, it, it was hard to just sit down and feel comfortable. You, you feel constant pain. There's no position that you can actually get in that makes you, you know, that alleviates the pain at all. So I, I would sit in meetings and leave the meeting room, you know, and I, it's hard to breathe because the more you breathe, the more everything moves. And uh, I would go in and just like say, hey, yo, can you give me, a, can you just give me something so I can, you know, I can sit in my meeting room and, you know, they give me a shot and, you know, go back to the meeting room. Of course it hurts, but that was probably that. There's no question. That's the worst pain I've ever felt. What really makes the Minnesota Vikings one of the more fascinating teams National Football League is, I get it, every team is going to feel tortured, every team is going to feel like the breaks never go their way, unless you're the New England Patriots, I, I suppose, but the Vikings really, uh, they, they, they can stake the claim as that most tortured fan base because you go through the years, era to era, generation to generation, quarterback to quarterback, it's brutal. I mean, you're talking about Playoff losses from Gary Anderson's kick to Brett Favre's interception in 09 to Blair Walsh in 2010 to the NFC Championship game against Philly when if they win that game, they're going to host the Super Bowl. I think the Vikings fans have been through just about the worst defeats and worst sports moments you can imagine. And right up there has to be Teddy Bridgewater's legs snapping in half in practice that, that really haunted that team for years. And Terrence Newman was on that practice field that day. Remembers it very vividly and, like so many other people out there, wonders where Teddy Bridgewater's career goes if he doesn't suffer that horrific leg injury and where the Vikings go from 2016 on had not have been for that injury. Yeah, and I totally, I didn't know anything that had happened. Mm. So I, I, we had, we were, we were on the practice field, and you know he was at quarterback, I was at corner. Mm-hmm. So uh, the ball is snapped. I'm guarding, I think Charles Johnson at the time. He's running down the field, and I see, I see one of my safeties, right? Like I see him out of the corner of my eye. And I see him just, like, shoot off running to the sideline, right? And I'm like, what the, what the hell happened? And now, now this is, like, early in the play. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm like, what the hell just happened? So I keep running a little bit, and I see somebody else kind of, like, you know, start running to our, our sideline, like, where our coach is at, like, our DB. So I turn around, and I just see guys, like, throwing their helmet. You know, I see guys just turning their heads, like, you know, dropping their heads, like, oh, my God. So I still don't know what happened at this point. And then I, I look back and I see all of our trainers and, you know, people bu- bubbled around somebody on the offensive side of the, the, the field. So I go over to, to my coach, like Coach Gray, and I'm like, Coach, what happened? He was like, man, Teddy, Teddy hurt his knee. Oh. And me and Teddy, like, we're, me and Teddy were pretty tight. Teddy, Teddy's as solid as a person you'll ever meet. Um, so I go over there, you know, and they're talking to Teddy. Oh, you got big feet. You got mommy shoes on, huh? So I go over to Teddy and, you know, I'm just talking to him. I'm telling him he's going to be okay. And 
at this point, you know, you know, this is going to be like big news, right? He's a starting quarterback. Yeah. Uh, great young quarterback. Like, this is going to be out there. So, you know, I'm like, hey, Teddy, uh, do you want me to like text anybody, like your family or something? Let let them know what's going on. Now they're just about to take him straight to the hospital. Like, like there's no there's no going to the locker room, doing any of this. So I I run in, grab his phone for him real quick. You know, so he can, you know, message the people he has a message. And at this point, I still don't know what, like, how bad his knee was. I didn't know, like, you know, if he got hit or, you know, if he just tore ACL. But I could tell by the look on his face, like, he was, I could tell that he was very, very uncomfortable and, you know, kind of in shock. Like, he didn't know what was going to happen from that point. So you didn't look at it? Like you didn't get a look at how gruesome it was then and maybe No, they even... had they had put something around his knee. Mm-hmm. So in my mind I'm thinking, okay, Teddy tore his ACL or something like that. I didn't know it was like a career threatening injury. Yeah. But people were freaking out at practice, you said, and then that's kind of the reports, right? Like there were tears, there were the people who did yeah. see it up close were, were really scared. Yeah, like people were, were upset, you know. I mean, this is this is somebody who was a, a an amazing presence in the locker room. Um, not even going to talk about the football aspect because you know at that time he was he was a good quarterback. You know, he's buying to become one of the one of the household names. But you you lose somebody who's a very quality individual in the locker room. Yeah, I mean that's a big blow. You lose somebody who's friendly to every single person in your locker room. I've, I've never seen Teddy walk by somebody and not speak to them. No matter who they were, no matter what their status was on the team, he was somebody who could bridge any gap with, with people, period. Those 2016 Vikings scramble to acquire Sam Bradford, who isn't terrible but isn't great and gets hurt the next season and opens the door for Case Keenum in 2017 to really have one of the most random, randomly impressive seasons in, in team history, quarterback history in recent memory. I mean, he he caught lightning in a bottle in that 13-3 and Vikings team, really gained a rapport with Adam Thielen. That was the year that Thielen broke onto the scene. And the Vikings knock off the New Orleans Saints at home. And obviously the Minneapolis Miracle, one of the more surreal, unreal finishes you'll see in any sporting event. Keenum to Stephon Diggs, Helmet Airborne, the Vikings win, everybody goes insane, the new stadium is rocking, I think we all remember Case Keenum getting the skull chant going, it gives you chills, gives you goosebumps just thinking about it, and then what happened, they go to Philadelphia with a chance to win and host the damn Super Bowl, and Nick Foles torches Mike Zimmer's defense. Terrence Newman gave us a look behind the curtain the week leading up to that game. Honestly, it was no surprise that the defense laid the egg that they did. It's, I think it's more painful when it's a blowout like that. Is it? Honestly, I mean, I'd rather lose a close game than getting blown out in an NFC championship. Right? Because at least it means you showed up. At least it means you got dressed, you know, you were prepared. And just the better team won. You know, when you get blown out, it's like, all right, what the what the hell happened? What was it then? I mean, yeah, what what the hell happened? Uh, 
honestly, it was a situation where I feel like we were totally unprepared. Hmm. We we got out coached, we got outplayed, every aspect of it we got outdone. And obviously you don't make the proper adjustments, you know, towards the end. I mean I think also uh, the week before, you got to look at the week before, the emotion everybody had after pulling out that win in New Orleans versus New Orleans. Mm-hmm. And then coming back the next, you know, the next day or whatever. And then two days later, we're, we're in, you know, full pads and doing shit that, you know, you think, you would think that after the emotion that everybody showed, you know, people definitely probably had to go out and celebrate after that game that we would have took it a little more easy and just kind of got our legs back under us. <laughs> I think all of that, no, seriously, I think all of that kind of kind of showed. She went back to, um, I think all of that showed. And then even before the game started, right, we had guys in the locker room like, hey, you got to wake up. Everybody got to wake up now. Really? You could see people, yeah, you could see people were visibly still tired. Wow, the day of the game. Yeah, this is like before the game. Just tired from like the. I think so. He had you guys in. Zim had you guys in full pads that week. Two days after. I think we had. I think we had shoulder pads on the day. Okay. But like contact, like hitting. Yeah, you know we were doing like shoulder stuff. It wasn't. It wasn't like a, a skilled back practice, from what I remember. Yeah. Like we're out there, like going. I think we did a practice where, you know, we had one of them that was kind of, you know, a little slower pace, but for the most part, we were out there like, like we were, you know, fighting for our lives, which you know, technically, in football terms, anyway, you know, you're trying to win, but. You can't you can't sacrifice guys being healthy and, and being rested versus you know yeah. it's the end of the season like what are you going to teach a guy that you know you can't teach the toughness part of it that's out the window at that point right totally either you're tough or you're not so like were guys worn out from the practices that the in the locker room the day of the game like you could see, you could just see guys tired from that I, I wouldn't say the practice I think the whole like I said from the moment that game ended. That was a lot of lot of excitement and a lot of emotion that went into that victory. Yeah. And then the the after the aftermath of it. Everybody's in the locker room, you know, jumping up and down, excited and all of this stuff. Now that takes a lot of energy. And yeah, I'm pretty sure you've heard guys like uh guys in golf, right? Like a guy wins the masters, they don't play the next week, they're like, Man, I, I need to let the body rest, I need to you know, it's such an emotional high yep. that, you know, I'm just not ready to compete yet. But it's kind of the same thing, obviously, you know. We weren't supposed to win that game before they threw that seven route. Yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden, they, you know, we connect. He's big scores. I just think that we, we spent a lot of energy, uh, you know, celebrating that win as a team, basically. Alrighty, guys, thanks so much for checking out this preview of our conversation with 
Terrence Newman. You can get the full interview at the newsletter, golongtd.com. So thank you so much for subscribing to the site. Uh, we're going to have another Q&A coming for you soon. I, I chatted with Willie Sneed, a really interesting veteran wide receiver. He's looking for a job right now, trying to sign with the team, wants it to be the right situation after he was in the very, very wrong situation last year uh, in Las Vegas. But yeah, had had two great seasons right out of the shoot for the New Orleans Saints. Didn't go well in Baltimore. He opened up. He was unbelievably honest on what happened in Baltimore with an offensive coordinator who, let's face it, he's under fire, Greg Roman. Um, you read between the tea leaves, and Lamar Jackson is not very happy with that offense. We know all the wide receivers who come through there aren't happy with that offense. So uh, Sneed shed a little light on that and broke down his own career, his life, uh, the inspiration that he kind of draws off the field. Um, very, very interesting to hear from him. So check that out at Go Long here on the podcast feed. And yeah, Friday morning, we're going to have a story on Kayvon Thibodeau, uh, the New York Giants' fifth overall pick. He is the first selection for the new regime there. GM Joe Shane, head coach Brian Dayball. Uh, they rolled the dice on the Oregon edge rusher who... You know, I think in a draft without a lot of quarterback star power, uh, without much controversy at all at the top, he was kind of the heel, the villain, the the prospect that uh, was open to plenty of nitpicking. So it's on teams to figure out what they should value, what they shouldn't. Obviously, he has a lot of interest off the field, but I chatted with those who know Kayvon Thibodeau best. Uh, from his coaches to his trainer uh, to people who study him and hopefully we'll paint a an accurate picture of what the Giants are getting themselves into because he could be a perfect fit in that market. It's going to be a long road for the New York Giants. They, they still have to figure out quarterback. They're giving Daniel Jones a season here. Um, Saquon Barkley, we'll see how he fits into Brian Dayball's offense. But if they get the edge rusher, if they can find somebody off the edge who can just affect the quarterback, affect games, They'll be they'll be well on their way. Uh, so thank you so much, everybody, for listening to the podcast, for reading the newsletter. Let us know what you want to read, what you want to hear. Send your mailbag questions in to golongtd at gmail.com. Again, that's golongtd at gmail.com, and we'll get to a mailbag soon. Thanks so much, everyone.